Welcome to the Media Nerds Podcast. I'm Dan Vatabonker. And I'm Kenton Larson. And I was actually watching some uh, sports highlights this morning, Kenton. Sports are back. Yay. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I noticed something interesting. We talked about, I think, uh, one of the previous episodes, we talked about the cardboard cutouts in baseball at Fenway Park, yeah. uh, which you said you have to pay to get your likeness put there. I think so. Uh, and it's not just Fenway. There are a few other parks that are doing that. Um, but I noticed during some basketball highlights that uh, they've actually got digital computer generated fans they've got screens lining the sides of the court and there's like it looks like computer generated fans like clapping and moving like crowd like are they trying to fool these players to think they're in vr like i don't understand what they're trying to do here it's really really it looks ridiculous it really yeah. does not look great so i think that's kind of funny uh, meanwhile in hockey we're just like not even pretending uh, they're, they're covering up the seats in hockey there's no like trying to fool the players into anything although they do play crowd noise uh, during the game, which I think is kind of interesting. It's weird. <laughs> I don't like it. Apparently, that's that's EA Sports that's doing Oh, that. is it really? Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They've got some, I don't know, some algorithm. And I noticed the algorithm is, goes crazier at the beginning of the game and then kind of slowly fades out as the game progresses. My issue with it is it does not take into account who is supposed to be the home team and who is not. So when uh, the away team, the quote-unquote away team, even though they're all in the same, you know, but they come out wearing like the, the dark jerseys or the light jerseys, it doesn't matter who scores, the horn goes, the crowd yeah. goes nuts. It's like they're, they're like, they have, they should be taking that into account. Like when the, the when the away team scores in hockey, there's not a sound in that place it's very very quiet there's no horn no celebration except for the obviously the players on the team um so yeah it's been interesting watching hockey these how about booing days. where's yeah, yeah. the booing part of the algorithm <laughs> or, like, i was like where's the where's the button on my laptop where i can boo the bad call or <laughs> or you can heckle the uh broder like remember you used to yeah. heckle the goalie like that you can do that you we can't, can't do that stuff no i know so what's the <laughs> point what are we pretending we're we're pretending that there's only good news. We're this we're this close to everybody gets a ribbon at the end of the Stanley Cup. So is this for the benefit of the players or for the benefit of the people watching? I don't understand why they're doing this. I think it's I think it's mostly for viewers. You think so? Yeah, I okay. mean you're playing a hockey game and you just want to win. I don't think you really care one way or the other. My, Maybe uh, you get energized when the crowd goes nuts. But uh, no, I think when you're, really, when, there's not really a crowd there. <laughs> I don't think if you're happens. watching from home and there's creepy silence, then it's a, oh, a different thing. But I don't mind it. I, I'd rather just, I'd rather have, like, I like the parts of MASH that don't have a laugh track. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and actually last, a uh, couple days ago, there was a big injury. There's been lots of injuries, but this one in Toronto where this player was seriously injured and, and the play stopped for like 10 minutes. And you could really tell like, the silence was eerie. Like it was just the whole building was completely silent as they waited to take this player off the ice. And so that was kind of when you got to see what it really is like there uh, with no crowds, no people in the stands. Sorry, my cat's attacking me right now. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So we got uh, baseball has cardboard cutout people. Uh, basketball has digital people. And uh, hockey's got nothing. Hockey's got tarps over the over the seats. They cover the seats. Fancy tarps, though. They, they don't want people to see empty seats. Apparently. No, but they they have very fancy. Uh, I don't know what it's like aluminum foil or something. Yeah. <laughs> they should do that for aluminum. like Florida Panthers games, maybe when when the <laughs> when the, when the league yeah. starts back up again. <laughs> Florida <laughs> Panthers they felt a little uh, weird when they heard these new crowd noise because they never heard it what before. That? <laughs> that's that's a good joke. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, that's anyway. a good joke. That good Canadian joke. That joke would kill in Canada. Exactly. All right, well, we've got a, a packed show today. I want to talk about the Umbrella Academy, um, which debuted on season two, was on Netflix last weekend. Uh, but first, I do have some nerd news. 
Kenton, you had, I believe you told me this on this podcast, maybe it wasn't, but I believe you said you had an Intellivision growing up, did you not? Yes, Okay. So I did. Why Intellivision? Why did you have that system as far as, as opposed to an Atari or whatever else was out at the time? ColecoVision. Uh, I think I got it because a friend of mine had Intellivision and we played the two-player games and I wanted to be able to replicate those two player games, I think, in my own home. I mm. think that's how it all came together. Okay. Yeah. So I liked it. I liked it more. And the graphics at the time were better than Atari. Really? And that's in, indisputable. Yeah. Oh, interesting. As 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 as, <laughs> hey, as lame as they were compared to what today offers us, they were still the games moved better and looked better than Atari, without a doubt. Did you know that Intellivision is launching a new console? Oh my God. <laughs> is it? Is- is it the old one all over again? Well, it's it's a, kind of. It's it's weird. Um, so I, I just just came across my YouTube. Um, it was it maybe it was a, a story on Facebook. I don't remember, but but uh, basically, um, it's called the Intellivision Amico, which sounds very very close to Amiibo, which is a uh, Wii. It's a Nintendo thing, oh. but it's called the Intellivision Amico, and apparently they announced it like two years ago. And I never heard of it until yesterday. Um, but I watched, they had this big kind of um, event yesterday, like a digital event, you know, what everyone's been doing since there's no E3. They're all kind of making their own videos, kind of like Nintendo does. So um, they had this big thing yesterday, an hour and a half long uh, stream. And I watched a little bit of it. Funnily enough, the president of Intellivision is actually Tommy Tellerico. Do you remember him? No. No. So Tommy Tellerico is known to people as... Um, he was like a really good video game music composer back in the day. He he wrote the music for Earthworm Jim, among many other video games. For years here in Canada, he was the host of a show called The Electric Playground with um, another guy whose name is escaping me at the moment. But they would do video game reviews, and that was how I knew them. Oh, uh, they had that, the, the reviews that, in the run. Yeah, yeah yes. they, and they would like do their reviews in front of like a a green screen or whatever, and they would have the game playing behind them, and they would just kind of review the game. Um, Tommy left that, and the other guy kept going with it. I don't know if it's still going or not, but it was as of like five years ago. The Electric Playground was still running. But Tommy also was the guy who created Video Games Live. Have you ever seen that? That's when they like come to the concert hall and perform with an orchestra. Yes. So I've, he, never gone, I've never gone to that, yeah. but I'm aware of it. So yeah. he is, he is, he is the creator of that whole thing, which is an amazing show, apparently. I've never gone, but I do want to go see it next time whenever they end up coming back around again. <laughs> In 15 years yeah, exactly. when we're allowed to leave our house. Exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Um, so anyway, I caught this thing. I was watching bits and pieces of it. And this the, the main uh, announcement was that uh, they have to delay. Of course they have to because of the pandemic. They have to delay the, the initial – the original um, – Release date was going to be October of this year, but because of the pandemic, there you know obviously there's shipping issues and all kinds of other issues. So they've actually moved it back to April of next year. Now, here's the interesting part. This is a uh, it's a new con- it is a new console. Like it's it's completely it's a physical thing. Uh, it looks kind of weird. The controllers are somewhat like the Intellivision controllers. The Intellivision <laughs> controllers had like this little circle. Right? Remember they had the little kind number. of number. It was a number pad. They had a number pad, but also like a little circle yeah. thing at the bottom. Right. And so they do have something like that, except instead of the number pad, they've got a little touch screen. 
but it also Ooh. has a lot of the same, same qualities as like a Wii remote, where it's like you motion control and and haptic feedback and all that other stuff. So it's it's a very interesting looking controller. But the problem for me is that all the games look really lame. I'm sorry, but these games are like basically modernized versions of the games. There's like here's a game inspired by the original in, in television, and it's like. Uh, they had like Breakout and they had uh, Missile Command and all these games that like pretty much the exact same games. Astro Smash? They did have Astro Smash. Yes. yes. <laughs> Maybe I will get it. Okay. And how about Night Stalker? I don't know. I don't remember that one. I do oh. remember the, the Astro Smash one. The cool thing about the Astro Smash is actually you can play online. You can play multiplayer online. So you can play with a bunch of people and all smash the Astros uh, <laughs> together. Um, but it, I mean, it's just to me an interesting story because I, nobody asked for this. I don't know that anybody was clamoring for Intellivision to come back and make a system. Uh, it's, uh, it's 250 bucks American. So I imagine it's going to be somewhere north of 300 here. You have to buy it. They did a Kickstarter. I think you have to buy it online through their whole thing. And, um, I don't know how much the controllers are. The games are like maybe two or three bucks. There's no like cartridges. It's all digital. It's all downloadable games. And so there's no cartridge thing for the system. The only thing that really makes it unique, as opposed to just being your phone, are these controllers that, that it has. Hmm. So we'll see. And the other th big news that came out yesterday is that they're actually going to have Earthworm Jim, a new version of Earthworm Jim, on that console as an exclusive. Uh, because of Tommy's ties to that game back in the day, there's going to be like a new version of that game, which is a game I really liked back back when it was on yeah. like Genesis or whatever I played it on. Yeah, um, so I played it. That's a great game. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Anybody interested, take a look at Amico, the Intellivision Amico, coming in hmm. April of next year. Uh, I don't think it's going to make much of an impact. It's one of these things that's going to kind of fly. They're, they even said in the video they're not looking to compete with the big names. They're not looking to make a huge splash. They just want family-friendly fun. All the games are rated E for everybody. No violence, no sex, no drugs. It's all very, very... But the thing is that they have all these games that are like cornhole. Like they have a cornhole game. <laughs> So you, can, you know the thing you play with the, with the bean bags. It's not that. It's, it's not what you're thinking about. No, the game you play with the bean bags. Where you throw the bean bags. It's like the lawn game that you play outside. I was right? thinking of Cornholio from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> that's a game. No, I'll play that. There game. you go. There we go. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so there you go. That's the one one thing I thought was quite kind of interesting that crossed uh, my feed yesterday. Well, you had me at Astro Smash. I think if that's there. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to play Astro Smash like. I don't know, like a thousand hours a week, and I and I would play it until the until the score reset to zero and started again. And I remember the only thing that stopped me from playing it forever was my own boredom. Yeah. That I that that basically you got to the point where but, you're like you decided to eat dinner. So that you just couldn't but that play it that is kind of one of the problems with these games is that they're all very much old school. Even the ones that are newer are like still kind of based on that old school like point system that the old consoles did. All the, the point of any of these games is to rack up points. That's it. Like you're not trying to right. beat the levels. You're not trying to beat the boss. Or there's no story really. There's a, there's a loose story around it. Um, they had the game that, I mean, a lot of them look a lot like the Atari games. I had an Atari when I was a kid, and they had like this tank game where you're like going through the maze oh, and shooting the other terrible tank. Terrible game. Right, that kind of thing. And so, you could only fire one shot every minute right, or something. Yeah, and then it sometimes awful. it bounced off the walls and all this other yes, stuff. Yes. So that's those are the kind of games we're talking about here. They're very, they, they look better. They look much better, of course. The graphics are good, but at, at the base level, it's just the exact same game. Like Missile Command, I used to love playing Missile Command. And sure, there's some nostalgia there, but I don't know how much, how long I could play that 
without getting bored, right? And why can't I play it on my phone? Like, you know, what, yeah. is this controller really that special that's going to warrant buying this whole system? Because they say <laughs> it comes with two controllers, but you can you can have up to eight people play. So does that mean like you have to buy the extra controllers, or are you you're looking for people to come over with their controllers? Like, I don't know how that's going to work out. So anyway, the Intellivision Amico, look for it. Uh, I will. I will. I'm. I'll check it out online. All right. I'm, in, I'm interested, but I doubt I will buy. Yeah. It's. 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 Yeah. You know. You. You have enough options with video games these days. Yeah. Uh, without getting into that. Um, also, something that came across my feed was, and I don't remember if we talked about this when it was announced, but Hulu has already granted a second season to its Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Were you aware that they were making a series? No. Okay. Neither was I. That's why I was like, what? Um, but they are. They are. Right now, in production of season one of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, of course, this is based on the novels by Douglas Adams, which was based on the radio play. Uh, they did a series back in the day, a BBC series that was really bad. It was like really bad special effects. Do you remember that? Um, I'm sure you can find yeah. it on some streaming service if you can watch. Yeah, and the movie, of course, the movie. The movie too. was not great either. Um, no, but the, uh, the, uh, I remember watching that series. I remember taking it. Like, I love those books so much when I was a kid and I saw at the library, you know, how you could rent VHS tapes out of the library. They, they would have all the British shows like Monty Python and Miss Marple and all this other stuff. And so I would get, I saw this at the library and I rented it and it was like a, basically a tape, a compilation of like the first season or whatever of these. Uh, and it was like six episodes cause it's British, um, of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series and the, the effects were so bad. Um, that just kind of soured me and all this stuff, but I, I'm optimistic about a series. I think that could be pretty good. It could, but I always, I, I always say it this way: every nerd has his or her limits, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like for us, for Star Wars, we're doing Star Wars nerds. Like Dexter Jet Jetster is enough to turn off a lot of Star Wars fans. For me, Elon Sleazebaganano or whatever the guy from the Death with the Death Stick. I mean, I'm like, no, that's a bridge too far. For me, Hitchhiker's Guide has always been a bridge too far. Where it's like it's so in jokey and so I don't know what the word is. It's like uncomfortably nerdy. It's but it's also that type of British humor that I'm not sure works yeah. for anything other than a book. Like, you right, know, right. like, I don't know that you can really replicate this type of humor with a live action recreation of it. Certainly the movie failed at that. And I think that the other TV series did as well. So, there, yeah, there is a real danger that uh, this could be lame. But they must be feeling confident in it oh. if they've already, they've already, you know, signed it for a second season without even out of the air. Yeah, it's a very hard thing to do right. So I, I hope they do it right. And I hope it's good. But everything that I've ever seen... Any kind of attempt at doing this has just been has been pretty embarrassing in the past. So mm -hmm. I hope, like, I think it's prime. That's you. That's you. A sign that's prime to have it done right. Hulu's pretty good. They they yeah. do good stuff. So and we'll get that here in Canada. We'll probably get that on Crave. That's going to be our. We don't have Hulu, so we get that through other means. Yeah. Um, they did successfully create the Dirk Gently series on Netflix, which I really loved. Um, and it was not directly based on the books, but it was it was very much in the same vein as the books, so I think that uh, they could do this as well for a Hitchhiker's Guide. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that, but that's going to be coming out next year as well. Interesting. So, yeah. And then finally, last story on the nerd news. Uh, so, by the way, I went to the movies this week, Kenton. Uh, I went to see uh, Trolls World Tour with my kids. Oh. Uh, we went to the Grand Park Cinema. You risked your the... life for that. I did. I did. I, it was not <laughs> worth it. I'll tell you that much. It was not worth it. But uh, but the experience. What, what was worse, the COVID or the trolls? The trolls. Uh, the um, 
So we went to Grand Park, which in, for those who aren't living in Winnipeg, it's it's one of those theaters that has the luxury seats. It's actually perfectly built for this type of thing for yeah. social distancing. It is because they uh, they're actually selling seats in pairs. So they have these seats together. <laughs> you can actually there's a divider that you can lift so you can you can uh like sit right beside the person if you're there with a date or whatever you can snuggle um but also um like so they they, but they saw every other one and it's a good six feet between these huge things and the aisles are super wide as well so even when we're sitting back the the seats recline and you're leaning back and your feet are sticking out there's still a good four or five feet until the next chair so it really is set up well for that how many people how many people showed up Quite a bit, actually, I think, really? for a Saturday afternoon or whatever day we went. It was actually fuller than I thought it was going to be. Um, now, this, you know, they've kind of gone the route of, like, reducing theater size. I think they're actually on the right track with this because you're never going to pack a movie theater full of, like, 300 people. That's just not going to happen anymore. So I think, you know, when whenever they kind of lift the rest of the restrictions, um, uh, that, that theater, and then I think they're building a new one out by me. Any theater that has those big, comfortable seats is, is kind of the way to go for seeing movies um and i did talk to the concession um i'll get to the story in a second i did talk to the concession lady and, and we just kind of talked i'm like when are they going to start you know releasing newer movies she said the first one coming out next week is a new spongebob movie which i wasn't even aware they were making a spongebob another spongebob movie but that's going to be the first one and then they have uh tenet uh set for october or august okay. 21st rather that's going to be that's the, the christopher nolan one that we've been talking about on and off i think um they're they're releasing that one on a staggered release from my understanding oh interesting that, so that in different markets it will come out at different times depending on where the theater like not every market has theaters open right that's well how wet you right it's sort of rolling with all of that stuff but it might also have to do with the covid cases i don't know i'm not right. sure like there i mean there's lots of different like there's variations everywhere. I still think they should go on demand with this thing. That's um, that's where this news story is coming out. Is that yeah. they've actually made the call. The other big title of the of the summer that was going to come out is Mulan, the Mulan um, live action remake, and uh, that is coming to Disney Plus. That is not going to theaters. It, I mean, it'll eventually get released in theaters. Like Trolls World Tour was one of those ones that was released on demand, mm-hmm. and now it's in theaters, right? So we didn't see it on demand. So we decided. And by the way, they're only charging five bucks for the movies, uh, which is fine, but the the snacks cost me seventy dollars. Um, oh my god! <laughs> whatever. Really? I, I have three kids. What do you want? I have three kids. Seventy dollars. Something like that. You know how expensive movie snacks are. I hope you bought are. like some prime rib or something. That's right. <laughs> um, but Mulan will be on uh, coming to Disney Plus on September fourth. But they are charging a premium price for it. So they're charging thirty dollars. That's American. So I imagine it'll be more here in Canada. Uh, but they will be charging a premium price, so only Disney Plus subscribers can access that. And I don't know how that's going to work. Um, they've built it in to the system already, so that it'll be like it'll pop up on your your menu when you open Disney Plus, and you can click on it, and then it's guess it's just an extra charge. Whatever you use to pay for your Disney Plus, it'll charge that credit card or whatever. Uh, but yeah, thirty bucks to see Mulan at home, um, which is what you know you you said they should do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like. I'm not going to watch it because I don't care about that movie. But I know. Um... You know, if you're sort of, I mean, it looks like kids are going to be staying home this, some kids anyway, this uh, fall. And it's going to be, hey, are your kids staying home this fall? Nope. 
No, my kids go back They're to going school. They're going in. Okay, because yep. I was going to say, if you're like a parent on your last legs trying to, enter, <laughs> trying to entertain these kids, by all means, yeah, like, I'd I, 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 I pay there for the months. 30 bucks. I'd I've been it. there for months. Yeah. I would pay the 30 bucks for sure. Right, just, uh, just, but, just for some cheap entertainment. You know? What's interesting is we saw the trailer. They showed the trailer during the, the movie we went to see, and mm-hmm. it looks pretty good. Like I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan of these, these remakes. We've talked about that before. But this one does not look like it's a straight-up remake of the cartoon. It looks like they took the story and they changed and adapted it, which is what a remake should be right you should be adding something new to that story not just telling like the lion king is just a specific like retelling of that exact story <laughs> line for line in some cases it's almost like that psycho remake they did with uh with uh what's his name gus van sant directed it with um oh what's the guy's name yeah you know what i'm talking about vince anyway, vaughn vince vaughn that's right but um but this that's what that is like but this looks to be a better version of it um, there's no Mushu, there's no Talking Dragon, so no Eddie Murphy character. Uh, Shannon wants to see it. My kids are interested in seeing it. Uh, I probably will shell out the 30 bucks to, to watch <laughs> it here with them, and I'll let you know how it is. But it's just an interesting development um, where they're just like, let's just get it out. The Disney's like, okay, we're enough of this crap. Like Christopher Nolan and Tenet, they've been very stubborn about only in oh, yeah. theaters. They're still sticking to that. Only in theaters. They really want people to enjoy that movie in, in the big screen uh, experience. But uh, Disney's like, you know what? We got to get this out in front of it. We got to make some money on this. We got to get some, you know. I think Tenet is missing out. I think it's going to become, the, the. I mean, if they release it and it turns out to be um, sort of like this uh, monster that nobody expected in terms of uh, the quality of the, of the piece um, and the crowd pleasing nature of it and uh then then they'll be proven right but i think they won't be i think um it's the kind of movie where they could actually make more i think by charging 30 bucks a person for on demand like well 30 bucks a household right that's right that's just it yeah Yeah, 30 bucks a household Uh, i don't know i think it's uh i think it's something that they that might just end up happening down the line because i mean what are they going to do if people don't go to the theaters to see it what are they going to do that's like the the only recourse yeah, but they'll be they'll, they'll release it later on demand. Now, if they're doing this in staggered, you know, if they're doing this in staggered release, what's going to not happen is like the word of mouth is not going to carry it forward because that's the big thing with movies. If a movie comes out one weekend and it's good, and then people go see it and they tell their friends this is a really good movie, you should see it. That usually is what carries it into that second weekend and third weekend right. of success, right? Word of mouth is super pop, super important when it comes to movies but that's not going to have it because you're, so you're going to have people here in winnipeg watching it and then people in toronto won't be able to see it because their theaters aren't open yet um that kind of stuff is going to happen right so it's going to be uh it's going to kind of stall out i think as far as this box office take goes i think D- disney is probably best positioned to do the math more than anybody yeah because they know now they know like hamilton was going to be in the theaters but it wouldn't have done it would have made like what a million bucks on its opening weekend it probably would have been a limited release Probably wouldn't have opened widely. It's sort of niche entertainment, but they parlay that into a hundred million Disney subscriptions or something like some crazy. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling that out of my ass. No, Maybe no, not a no, hundred million, no, no, but, but they... there was a yesterday. There was a story about how Disney uh, reported its earnings, and it was it was up, uh, surprising everybody because it made money on the strength of its streaming service. That was it. They they. They yeah. hit their whatever goal they have, 100 million subscribers or whatever they have. They hit the goal four years earlier than expected. So they're they're like, people love it. People are loving Disney Plus. They're subscribing to it. They're a complete success story. Um, you know, we we talked about when it first came out. Is this going to stick? It has. It has stuck. People are are really Disney looks like geniuses for anticipating 
like they couldn't have anticipated a pandemic because nobody did, but they, um, but they would be in, um, in much more dire straits if it weren't for that, for them launching that right when they did. Um, and I also think, and sort of, it was occurring to me here, Black Widow is the one that got away. Uh, I think they could, they, that could be a Disney plus, and that might have the impact of attracting who knows how many more millions and maybe, and maybe once again, using that same format of released on Disney plus, but with, for a little extra premium. Yeah. And I would say that uh, if they do that, like maybe we might see that by Christmas time, maybe if, if yeah. they're still, if theaters are still in the same boat, they are right now that we might see that, that release come by because it was supposed to be on the springtime, right? It's, it's been, you know, five months now since that was supposed to come out. So they're going to wait yeah. and see what happens with theaters. But eventually, I think they will get back to, like, releasing stuff in the theater as they did before. Um, but they might also decide to release it on demand at the same time and give people the option, just like just like you've been talking about for years. Yeah, I think and I think that's likely what, what will happen. The, I think the one thing that's holding them back on that one is that that's a movie that would make a billion dollars around the world, yeah. you know, in three months. Sort of thing. And so you yeah. got to do the math and you got to sort of figure it out. Like all the Marvel movies do well. And so, don't forget uh, that these movies can still come out in theaters, even if they're released on demand. Like yeah. eventually Mulan will come out in theaters and people will choose to go see it in theaters uh, because they want to get that big screen experience. Just like we did for Trolls World Tour. We wanted that big <laughs> screen experience. Honestly, it was the only movie that we hadn't seen that the kids were any, anything remotely interested and on, and my, my two older kids had a heyday tearing that thing apart. They loved it. They just loved like how stupid Tearing it was. Tearing it apart? Yeah, they like they just like the whole drive home. They were like, "Oh, what about this? What about this?" And and Jack's like, "They didn't even follow the rule of threes with comedy. They made this joke twice. They didn't make it the third time." And he's pointing out all these flaws, and it, it was just hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, it's not. It, and the other, the other interesting part is that earlier in the day, Luke and I were watching a bit of the Lego Movie Part Two, right, the second part mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and it's very much the same kind of thing where it's, you have all the exact same creative people together, the same stars, the same writers, same director, no, maybe not the same director for Trolls, but certainly that was the case for the Lego movie, all the same people together in the same room. And the second one was just not as good, just did not, they tried to do the same thing again. They could mm. not capture lightning again. And that's the same thing that happened to Trolls. Cause I actually liked the first Trolls movie. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but, uh, but yeah, the second one was just awful, just awful. Here's another one for you. I saw that The Incredibles 2 is now on Disney Plus, which I never saw. I didn't oh, go. I didn't like that one I as didn't... much. Oh, okay. Well, no. I didn't want to. I love the original one so much. And I was kind of like, ah, I heard sort of lukewarm reviews. So I was like, I don't uh, well, think I'm going to watch it. It did very well. I remember when that came out and we went and saw it. And I was like, ah, I just don't like this idea. Like, I know the, the, the premise of it is that. Uh, the mom gets all the attention, which is fine. That's not the part, part I have a problem with. But my part, my problem was that it was predictable and it was not as exciting as the first one. Um, but it did do fairly well in the, in the box office. So I don't know. It's up to you if you want to see it. But it's, to me, not not as good as the first one. Again, all these kind of subpar um, sequels are just trying to make some more money, right? Yeah, right. Well, it had the feeling of it, and that's why I never watched it in the first place. But I was like, if you're going to tell me it's great, then I'll watch it. No, no, don't bother. All right, that's going to do it for the Nerd News. Let's talk about the Umbrella Academy. Who's there? Diego! What the hell did we do now? The end of the world, November 25th, 1963. And where am I now? Dallas 10 days earlier. I need to find my family. 
what I want to do is keep part of this spoiler free. We'll talk initially about the spoiler free stuff, so people who haven't seen it can see it um, if they want to, and then we'll uh, we'll give a spoiler warning when we get into it because you know there's certainly some stuff we want to talk about that are that are going to spoil the season, or spoil both seasons rather. Uh, but let's start by setting this up with uh, the premise of it as... Uh, by the way, you've watched the whole thing. Yes, yeah. Me I'm, too, me oh, too. I, I blew through that okay. thing so fast last weekend. Like, it was seriously... There's very few things I, I will binge on Netflix like this, and this was one of them. It was like one episode of a, after another I could not stop. It's so good. I love it. Uh, and it was my favorite Netflix show from last year. I could not wait. I watched. I rewatched the first season again ahead of this season coming wow. out. And it just is. I just love everything about it. The premise of this is that um, on the specific date, I think it's October first, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, some forty women around the world spontaneously get pregnant and give birth to to babies and they're like obviously some kind of weird phenomenon they've still have not explained what happened there i'm sure they will at some point um but and this rich eccentric uh old man tries to adopt as many of them as possible of these babies and he gets seven of them he adopts seven of these babies um and so he raises them as a superhero team they call themselves the umbrella academy and basically, that's kind of the, the backstory. The funny thing is that, you know, all these things that they do as kids is not really the story of the show. The story of the show is what happens after they grow up, which is really interesting. Um, and so they, they, you know, as kids, they go out on missions, they fight crime. There's all kinds of stuff that happens. We kind of see that in flashbacks. We don't really see the main parts of that. And then, um, then the, the story uh, comes together in season one when their father dies. And they all come together for the funeral, and then that kind of gets them back together and gets the story in motion. So just a really interesting and unique premise. I really enjoy that part of it. Um, I also love the the characters, uh, and each, each you know, obviously each member has their own power, with the exception of one. You know, there's number seven, uh, Vanya, who's raised, uh, she does not have any powers, she's told, and she's raised just as a regular kid, but still kind of that guy's an asshole. Like the, the dad is not, he's not a good dad. He's, he does not raise them like a father would. He raises them like a drill sergeant, basically, he treats them like crap and kind of drills that into them. Um, I don't know, what do you, what do you have to say about the series overall? Well, season, uh, both seasons, you mean? Or yeah, just the... yeah, just like, I mean, what is it, what, what is it that you like about this series? Well, it's uh, like, it's good to start with. It's good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's I mean, like in all almost every level, the writing is good, the character development is good, the acting is good, the the style of the show is good. You know that all that stuff is just excellent on almost every level. See, uh, maybe this is the best way I can describe it. On paper, I remember hearing about it and going, "Oh, it's the guy from My Chemical Romance made a comic book." Yeah, and I remember like, okay, not interested. And they shot a series in Toronto. I was like, now I'm really not interested. <laughs> and like, like, so he went down the list. And I remember going, oh, good. That's a show I don't need to spend any time watching. And then ultimately, I started hearing good things about it. And I came to it pretty late, season one. So when I watched it, I was like blown away. I was pleasantly surprised because I thought what I was expecting is like a Canadian X-Men like a Canadian it, made it's not, really, it's not really Canadian in it. Like it's supposed to take place in New well, York. It's just shot, shot in Toronto. Yeah, I know. But so like some, a, a lot of stuff is shot in Toronto. Every Canadian actor who's ever worked is in the series too, by the way. True. Tr that's Trudeau, true. Yeah. Trudeau that, is the dad. That does that. Does, oh, bon, I think of him as Bone Cop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think He's of that bon guy. He's Bone Cop. Is. Yeah. He's Bone Cop. Bad uh, Cop is the English Cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wasn't he the No, the Bad Cop was the bon French Cap. Cop, wasn't he? 
Bon cop, bad cop. Yeah, it's bon. But the I think the French. He was not the. He was the English cop. He was not the French cop. Oh man. Anyway. Well, that's right. That's you're right. You're right. So if you like laughing at uptight anglophones, that's the movie for you. Right, but we don't see a ton of them in the first season. We see more of them in, in the second season. Yes. And it's almost all through flashbacks and different things. Uh, I should also say that time travel is also involved here. It's not a spoiler to say that. every. Okay, so let's go through all the... Um, are we, we going to get to spoiler? I'm, I've been shutting up because I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, well, here, sure. I also want to kind of get through, like, what everybody's powers are. So we have... Um, and, and here's where I'll say I have read the comic books, and I have to say... I'm not really impressed with the comic books. I think the premise, the initial premise is the same, but I don't think, I don't like the writing of the comic books. I don't like some of the things they're doing. Um, I don't think that guy, Gerard Way, is a very good comic book writer. <laughs> I think that, mm. I think that the uh, the premise is the the important part here, and then they, they kind of took that and ran with it in the TV show, and they did much better execution with it on the TV show than in the comic book. For example, each one of these members, like, okay, so in the, in the series, they're either called by their numbers, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or they actually have names, which were apparently given to them by their robot mom. Again, that's not much of a spoiler. You find that out pretty early. Um, and so they have, uh, you know, Luther is number one. His superpower is super strength. But they also have in the comic book, like code names, like, you know, like you would see Wolverine or Cyclops, like that kind of a code name that superheroes do have. But it's just not necessary in this. They've already got two names. They've got their number. They've got their actual name. Now you want to give them a third kind of code name. Um, Luther is called Space Boy. Why is he called Space? And he's called this as a child. Like they have these names as children. But why is he called Space Boy? His power is super strength, right? Why would he be called that? Uh, Diego, number two. Diego's superpower is that he um, he can throw knives. He can basically control knives. I didn't really understand it until the second season, but he's like I thought he was just super accurate, like Bullseye, where he could throw a knife and, and basically hit whatever he wants. But we know now that he can actually control the metal, I guess somehow. Um, in the in the comic book, his codename is Kraken. He must be from Seattle. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, but why why call him that? That that's a better name for the, the the I don't know what number he is, but Ben, the guy who can like shoot tentacles out of his body, he should be called Kraken, right? <laughs> so that whole aspect I don't like. The other thing is that they give away so many spoilers in the comic book right off the bat. Like they tell you everything. Um, there's a big big um, you get a big kind of revelation about the dad in season two. That's front page stuff in the comic book. They give you that right away. So I knew that going into second season because I'd read huh. it. So basically, I would say don't read the comic book until maybe after the series is done. But even then, I don't think it's that great. I really don't. I don't understand why. You mean the book, the comic book. Sorry, the comic book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The art style is interesting. It's different. I don't mind it. But again, I don't think it's the best comic book in the world. I would not Hmm. recommend it to people. Uh, The series is awesome. It Uh, is. So so all these different, you know, these kids have different powers. Um, Season one deals with the end of the world. Season two, they both deal with the end of the world, kind of. Um. And uh, the, I said that it involves time travel because one of the kids' powers, number five's powers, is to create these. He can teleport, kind of like um, Nightcrawler can in the X-Men, but he also can, can t- travel through time as well as space. So he tries time travel, gets himself stranded in the future, and then that, that's how season one plays out. That's, that's the whole storyline. In season two, they, he, he takes them. At the end of season one, it was a huge cliffhanger. As the world's about to end, he takes them out. And I guess we're getting into spoilers now. Um, spoiler okay, let, so let's. So here's where we'll start talking spoilers. I, thought, which I is, thought I could talk about it more without spoilers, no, but I can't. It's I really very can't. hard. You, I mean, I, I don't know how you would even do it. Because if you, don't, if you want someone to come to this and know nothing, then they should just watch it. And then I've already said too much. That, right. right. Then they should yes. just watch it. So let's, yes. but, but henceforth, 
we shall discuss uh, specifics. All right. So then, yeah, at the end of season one, uh, he teleports them all back in time. He takes them back to the 60s. But he's not very good at time travel, as we've learned. The first time he tried doing it, he made himself young again. So he turned himself from a 58-year-old man into a 13-year-old boy somehow. He reverted his age. Kind of like Paul Rudd in uh, in the Avengers Endgame. Remember that? The whole thing where he made him a baby? It's that whole idea, right? So maybe they're taking a similar look at time travel as the Avengers, which is not a very serious look at time travel. By the way, I started watching uh, Dark this week. Um, oh, yeah. Which is like, that's a really good... Oh, look yeah. at time travel. That's that. If you want a serious time travel thing, that's how you do it. But um, but this one is like it, it's kind of loose. It's like they're not really worried too much about the rules of time travel as much as other other series that deal with it. So they go back to the '60s and they all but they all land in different years. So one of them lands in 1961, one's in 1962, 1963. They kind of get spread out and separated, and so they live out their life. Now this whole season. Um, I guess it's supposed to kind of mirror the second run, uh, second storyline of the comic book, which, which also involves uh, the JFK assassination in 1963. They're in Dallas, um, so they have to come back, and there's like one of them is trying to prevent the assassination of JFK. Um, one of them is working for Jack Ruby, which I thought was a really interesting twist. The Luther, the big guy, is working for Jack Ruby, who's the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. So I really enjoyed that whole aspect of this, the whole JFK assassination thing. I've been to Dealey Plaza. I went there when I went to Dallas in 2014. So that whole time where we're seeing all those shots of that, the buildings and everything, I've been there. I've seen all that. I've stood right beside that fence on the grassy knoll. And so that was all very real to me. It was kind of an interesting look at all that stuff. I thought that... Uh... The reenactment of the JFK assassination, uh, which we don't we don't need to really say how it plays out, but just the fact that the reenactment of it is, uh, I thought it was pretty stellar. I thought it was a pretty they find a pretty cool way to do it uh, that really works. And I knew I knew that I know the story of the Umbrella Man, which was a real story, but um, they found the Umbrella Man who was there, and Errol Morris. Did a two minute or something. It's a very short, short film for the New York Times on who the Umbrella Man is. Where it's like, just when you think you've heard all manner of wacky, this Umbrella Man comes along and it turns out he was protesting something by holding the umbrella. But so he didn't shoot, he was not a shooter. But everybody up to that point was like, the guy standing in the daylight with an umbrella yeah, has got to be. Black. He's dressed right. like it should be raining, but it was a sunny day out. Yeah, right. So. He's got. And I rem- And as we, I watched the show, I kept thinking they got to be careful because they can't. Like they can't. There's. A, they they can show a certain amount of this to keep it. You know, to keep it real, and they can't have the assassination of JFK become just like a prop. Sort of thing, and so they find right. a way to do it that I thought was that, that I thought made a lot of sense. They handled it right, and they um and uh, I thought they did they it was surprising still, and uh, I, and I also thought that it was uh it was fitting for the show. So I thought I thought uh I thought that scene could have gone horribly wrong, including just. Re- the reenactment itself could look fake or something, but I thought they did a pretty incredible job. No, they of did it. a great job. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, there was a lot of great aerial shots in that whole whole thing. Um, they used that umbrella man thing really well to make them think it was their their father. Basically, they thought their father was involved in the whole thing, and he was, but just not in the same way that that he thought. They revealed that whole um, the whole aspect of it really well. 
Um, I really, okay, so some key moments to me, like I really loved the opening, in the first episode, the opening scene where Five jumps in. Unbelievable. Five jumps in and it's World War Three. The Soviets are invading the US. This is how they messed up the timeline. Uh, the Soviets are invading and it's because, uh, I, I don't know, like, they flashed through it really quickly, so I don't know if it's meant to be picked up by everybody, but it's very clear, like, because I know the date of JFK's assassination. It's, it's November 23rd. I don't know that everybody knows that, but the, the paper he looks at says November 25th, and it says JFK orders invasion, and so clearly JFK was not assassinated. That's the, that's the setup to this season, right? JFK is not assassinated. The timeline is messed up. There's a Soviet invasion. It's the end of the world again. And then Hazel, who's my favorite character in season one, by the way. I love that actor. Uh, he's really, really great. Hazel shows up with his little time travel briefcase and takes five back, ten days. So, again, he has ten days to stop the apocalypse. Why, why wouldn't he give him more time? I don't know why, but whatever. Um, with the time machine, you'd think you could give him as much time as you wanted. But, um, but yeah, so then but we see that opening scene where the, the Umbrella Academy were actually fighting off the, so the Soviet soldiers with their powers, just like you would see like the X-Men fight and everybody, everybody's in it. Everybody except for five who just showed up, right? But uh, it was really cool. They, I love that They scene. released that clip on YouTube, uh, the intro to the to season two. Oh, I two. hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen so it. So people can watch it. People who are, don't oh, yeah. even have a subscription can watch that scene. And I think that scene is as powerful as the show gets. I mean, I think that's... Yeah. Uh, it was a and that was the first, like, first 10 minutes of the first episode. I, yeah, but it's also like a good intro into what each hero does. So, yes. so it's worth watching just to sort of see it play out. And, and, and it sets the table in a way I think you have to watch the rest of the show. I think it's pretty hard not to when you see that. I really liked where they took uh, uh, Klaus's character mm -hmm. this year, uh, this season. Klaus, of course, is the guy who can talk to the dead. Yeah. That's, his, that's his power. He's kind of like the kid from Sixth Sense. I keep comparing them to other people, but that's the best way to communicate this. And, and his brother, Ben, who died. And we still don't know exactly how he died, but we learned a little bit more about that in this season. So Ben died when they were kids. He was the guy who could like stick out the tentacles out of his body and become like a monster or whatever. Um, but he, as a ghost, is kind of attached to Klaus, right? He's always with Klaus. So he travels back in time with Klaus, and the two of them go off and form a cult, which I love. I love that. It's so funny. And so like that. That whole sequence where they're showing him kind of creating his cult is just hilarious. Um, by the way, Klaus's name in the um, comic book is Seance. Hmm. That's his code name. Uh, so Vanya, who we, of course, learned at the end of season one, does have powers. Vanya shows up, but she gets hit by a car and she gets amnesia. So she doesn't remember who she is. She doesn't remember she has superpowers. She's living at this farmhouse with this family, um, the people who hit her with the car, and just kind of trying to figure out who she is. You, you have but mentioned now two of my only complaints about this oh. season. All right. So let me, the first one, I'll just, and I'll just put a highlight what you already said. Hazel. More, more, yeah, yeah. come on, he, he it's so time good. travel, like, come like, on. <laughs> Hazel and Cha-Cha yeah. in the first season, Cha-Cha is played by Mary J. Blige, and uh, they were excellent, they love that whole aspect of that, and that, that scene in the first, I talked about how they use music in this, yeah. and they do it again this, this season, they do it really well in um, in the season, but there's a scene in the donut shop in the first season where they do it to, I think it's, is it Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, or is it was, um, no, it was... Istanbul, not Constant yeah, yeah. Constantinople. That's um. They might be giants. Uh, they might be giants. Yeah, that's it's right. It's a cover song. So they, they didn't write it, but they there's their version is the famous one. Yeah, and so yeah. that they do a big fight scene to that song. That's really really good. They do it again in season two to uh, I'm a man, yes yeah. I am, and I don't know. I don't know what that song's called, but I love that song and that whole fight scene was amazing as well. 
Uh, but yeah, more more Hazel would have been nice. I definitely agree that that we missed that that actor is excellent. He's also in um, what is it? Um, Mind Hunter. What's the one about the serial killers? Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter. He's in that movie in that and, show as well. And his girlfriend, who was played by the other Canadian actor from I Heard the Mermaid Sing. That's right. Which is every Canadian like that's shown on Canadian TV a thousand times a year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I miss those two. Me too. I, like, I did. Oh, yeah. You're right. And and with time travel, hey, we got time travel, so you should in theory. Be able to even if well, we certainly they certainly did push time travel to its limits in the season. Like they did all kinds of stuff with that that they didn't do in season one necessarily, but they certainly uh, we we learned of course there's this whole commission this this time commission that's trying to quote unquote maintain the timeline and there's a whole kind of subplot I could have done without that whole subplot. I didn't really love it. I don't like that character. The, the one with the time commission with the whole I guess it's the reason that it all happens, but. Um, the the handler and her daughter and all that other stuff. That whole thing was like the ah, daughter. I just... the, I, we did. I don't thought. I didn't think we needed the daughter. No. Because I, what did she add to? She's not not a particularly likable character, even when you think she's on our side. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> but uh, but I don't. That's not really a spoiler, is it? I don't think it is. I think it's pretty clear. We've already yeah. given the spoiler warning, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, but, but, the gold, the goldfish in the head—that's yeah. also from the comic book. That's kind of weird stuff the comic book does. Like they just have arbitrarily a, an intelligent goldfish with a aquarium on a body who's like his head is like an aquarium, but he's got like a human body. That is directly from the comic book, and really there was no point to that either. To be honest, so he was just a guy that that they kind of moved out of the way so this other person could take back over the the power. So I didn't really like that. I did like Herb. I did like Herb, the guy who worked at the commission. Oh yes, please more Herb. That guy was, that guy was awesome. That guy so was, was awesome. I love that guy. <laughs> but they, the the only other thing, okay, and and also you've also mentioned the time travel. I think boy, time travel. We've had so much of that and so many. It's been different, a lot. Yeah. We, there's so much that it's hard to sort of get your go like oh here we go again. But this is pretty good, I have to say. Then amnesia you mentioned, and I was like, I don't know if I can take any more amnesia on a show ever. <laughs> I'm just sick of it. I don't know. How, how often does it actually happen in real life? I don't know. Not that this is a realistic show at, at all, but it's a very convenient plot device that allows her to kind of live peacefully and not know she has powers. It kind of erases everything they, they, they created for that character up to a certain point, then she remembers it all, and then yeah. it all comes flooding back, of course. But it's just it's just too convenient for that to happen in this in this show. Yeah, they I agree that need, that was not great. They need it to happen, so it yeah. happens, and yeah. it and uh, I, yeah, like I I didn't really need that. And life on the farm uh, can only lead to lesbianism, according to the show, which is fine. There's nothing there's nothing as they said on Seinfeld nothing wrong with that <laughs> unless it's a heavy-handed plot that doesn't make sense within the context of the show and yeah. i thought the motivations of that life on the farm did not that was sort of the and in every element in every aspect of what happened on the farm i just found myself going i don't buy it i don't buy it. i didn't buy the dad i didn't buy the son. of course the son is going to lead to something that you see coming from episode two or whatever. Yeah. Like, like so predictable. And we need a setting so in the finale we can have an army show up. Right. Be a nice big wide field that everybody can show up in. And I, I don't think the dad was that bad of a guy. Like, I, I mean, he, he, they kind of make him he's out a, to be he's this, a you know, dick. He's a, 
But that, he's kind yeah. of an asshole, but he's like, so were a lot of guys <laughs> in the 60s. That's kind of what the model was. Have we seen, we've all seen Mad Men. We know what, what uh, uh, um, Don Draper was like that as well, right? They go off to work. They drink a lot. They don't spend a lot of time at home with, with the wife and kids. That's what it was back in, the, in those days. So it's not unusual. Um, but, but at the same time, they managed to make um, uh, Allison's motivation. And so number, I don't remember what number Allison is, but she's the one whose power is to rumor. So she can, I didn't know, and I didn't know that it made, I thought it was a mind control thing. But again, in that first scene in that they released, that you said they released on YouTube, she said, I heard a rumor that I blew your minds and their heads explode. Yeah. So clearly her power has, it has power over physical things as well. It's the best power. Just, it is really, it is. yeah. It's, it's the it's best, really cool. best power. And if, yeah, and so she can, therefore she must be stopped. She, you have to stop her from speaking at key moments. <laughs> well, and of course they do that. They punch her in the throat and stuff like right, that. They right. find all kinds of ways to stop her from speaking. And she goes like in the story, she goes like a year without speaking apparently because she's stuck in the sixties. But I did buy into her relationship yes, with her husband. I love that. I love that. That whole thing was great. Yes, and, I and it was timely with Black Lives Matter. And, yeah, and probably unintentional, but yeah, but it, but yeah. but it it really it it that relationship just seemed like to organically come out of the t the era as opposed to the other one, which was like uh, we don't know what to do with this character. So so we'll. We'll give her amnesia. We'll put her on a farm. Like, yeah, I don't see that. I don't see how that she would end up on that farm. Like, if no. you hit somebody with a car, take them to the hospital and leave them there. Yeah. That's what you do. And then the, the cops will handle the missing persons aspect of it. You don't just stay with these people until they find out who your family is. That's not how that works. I'm just gonna stay on the farm with my amnesia and and not 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 question where I am or not go not go to the authorities. If you didn't know anything, you would go to the authorities, and you'd yeah, say, exactly. "I don't know anything. I help me, please." So, so that all of that stuff, I just thought I like stuff in a show that looks like it it happened organically, as opposed to the writers ran out of ideas, so they came up with amnesia. <laughs> but and then that leads into the whole kind of uh, finale, the the conclusion where she's yeah. taken in by the FBI. They think she's Russian. And that, that felt a bit fabricated to me as well, because yeah. I'm like, okay, so it's not because so the, the timeline has changed, not because JFK wasn't assassinated, but it's because she blew up the FBI building, which is just down the street from where he was, his motorcade was, and he thinks the Russians did it, so they launched the attack. So that's, I'm, I thought that was a bit uh, lazy as well, that they just made it that, as opposed to, you know, who knows, maybe everyone talks about JFK and what would have happened if he hadn't been assassinated. Maybe he would have declared war on the Russians eventually, right? We don't know. Yeah. I mean, that person with that much power can do uh, uh, very powerful things. So yeah, I, I do agree with that. But one of the things I love about the show are the little moments that they capture. So there's this part where after Vanya finds out who she is, gets like she doesn't get her memories back, but she's you know told who she is and who her brothers and sister are. But uh, there's but a there scene is, where they get there once again. There's some confusion. I think as a viewer, as about how much she knows and remembers until yes. suddenly it seems like everything. Well, you know, they're, they're interrogating her and they talk to her in Russian. She answers. Now, clearly she was taught Russian by her father. Like, that's just yeah. one of the things they learned. But they don't know that. Um, but so she she clearly remembers some things, like, unconsciously. But there's a great scene when they go day drinking. And you've got Klaus and Allison <laughs> and Vanya. And they're drunk and they're in the salon. 
and they're just kind of having a good time. I love those little scenes where they like they bond as siblings. Like they actually have these moments yeah. that they kind of like are they are they do love each other. They do care about each other despite all the shit they've been through. Uh, they really do. They, there is that kind of united front. And then five is also the one that also very strongly believes in like saving his brothers and sisters because he's the one pushing them to kind of fix all the things. And he takes the stupid deal. That was the other thing I didn't really like was he takes that deal from the handler. He goes off and kills that board of directors or whatever for the commission. And then he gets the case and then she gives them the time limit um, to get everyone together. And, and they, they're not able to do it. So that also felt like, why, why do we need even that whole thing? Wasn't he on track to to solve this anyway? Like, you know, like why? I don't know. That yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Like these complaints that we're making, that, here, that here's the funny thing. Um, it's easier to pull these complaints out of a really good show because they stand out. Yeah, <laughs> if that's it right, was a, yes. Yes, if it was a yeah, And there's not a yeah. lot of it. There's not no. a lot of bad things. That's pretty much it, it I think. Yeah. That's not that's really not much else. I actually really enjoyed this show. It's, it's a lot of, of fun. Yeah, it's one of the best viewing experiences, you know, of the years easily. Um and uh and the reason that these moments we're talking about stood out is because the rest of the show is so great. But that's yeah. the thing. Like if if I think there would have been a better way to handle some of that stuff. That would seem like less heavy handed in terms of plot development. Like we need this to happen. Ugh. As you start to shove it in there. I think a lighter touch on that stuff. And I think uh, this would have been a perfect show. And it's it's pretty good as it is. It's still an A, I'd say. I watched, last night I watched a clickbait video from Screen Rant that said 25 things you missed while watching the Umbrella oh. Academy season two. It's all the little references they had in there, but it's like I watched the thing. And I'm like, I noticed most of those. Like yeah. I didn't miss any of it. It was like uh, the part where they go to meet with their dad in the past and they they have the conch. You have to have the conch shell uh, to talk, right? Which is clearly a reference to Lord of the Flies. Now, maybe the younger kids don't know what that is. I don't know. It's something they made me read in, in high school, so I'm very familiar with Lord of the Flies. But... Um, but that conch shell is absolutely a reference to that. And there was a bunch of other stuff as well. There was like a reference to apparently they see in one of the scenes that I did catch this where they see all the people in the commission kind of leaving and getting ready for battle. You see someone carrying Cha-Cha's pink uh, mask, you know, that big pink um, dog mat, whatever it is yeah. that she wears in the first season. You see somebody walking through and there's hints that that could be Cha-Cha who who apparently was killed in the apocalypse in season one, but but maybe not, right? So there are hints of that. There's all kinds of stuff that there are like lots of little hidden um, kind of uh, Easter eggs and stuff in the show that are really interesting. And I did like the, I do like the actor, as much as we make fun of Bone Cup, Bad Cup, I do like the actor who plays Reginald Hargreaves. That guy's awesome. I'm blanking on his name, but he's just a great um, Canadian actor. Uh, and we saw uh, a lot Fior, of him this season. Fior, uh, oh, yeah, Colm Fior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we saw a lot of him this season. He was excellent, uh, and I want to see more of him. And, of course, the big reveal uh, in the end of the series is that he's an alien. Shocker. Uh, he takes off his rubber mask. Did you Now, were you surprised by that? How did you feel about that? I thought it was uh, in keeping with the show. That was more in keeping with the show than some of the other stuff that we talked right. about. Because it's kind of weird and out of the left field, but that's what that show yeah, is. Yeah, it should be. It should be. There should be some degree of that. Oh, if we're going to have time travel, then we got to have aliens. 
Well, you know? and, and we saw we saw a hint of it in season one where we saw this flashback of him leaving his wife or leaving a woman at the bedside and these rockets taking off. So that clearly he had to escape a planet. And then he arrives in New York in the early in the 1800s at some point and starts the umbrella company or buys the umbrella company to to start his kind of business. Uh, there's a hint at something called a televator. Uh, there's when they go into his office and they're looking through all his supplies and all his like paperwork. You see a couple things you see. First of all, I saw a schematic for the space shuttle. Did you see that? No. Like a, like, okay, they show you like here's what the space shuttle looks like. This is in 1963, and the space shuttle is not going to come along for another 20 years. So that was an interesting um, reveal that he he basically invented the space shuttle. And then also there's a reference to something called a televator, which is in the comic book um, as like a instant. It's like like a it's like a instant transport, like a tele. Um, what's it called from Star Trek? The um, transporter. Transporter, beam me up, Scotty, that kind of stuff. That's what it is. A televator, you get into the booth, you zip into another place as an instant transportation. So he was working on that. Now, in the comic book, that is everywhere. He's invented it. He's made a fortune on it, uh, which is clearly alien technology that he's, you know, inventing, quote-unquote inventing. And the other thing about the comic book, that there are talking monkeys everywhere. That that It's not just the one talking monkey. There's talking – we haven't even talked about the talking monkey. But there's, he's not, like, in, the, in, he's the, not co- in season two as much. Not, not really. But but Pogo, like, you get the feeling – You never they never really explain it in season one. They get the feeling that Pogo is the result of an experiment where he's taught a monkey to talk or given him super intelligence. But in the comic book, he's done that for all monkeys. Or apes, as he would say. He corrected – he said apes. <laughs> he said that. Anyway. So, yeah, it's just I, – I really had a lot of fun with it. I am going to watch it again at some point. Like, there's this, there's this show – and there's the boys. Have you seen the boys yet? Oh yeah, I love the boys. Yeah, so That's, the boys season. What a show! Season two is coming uh, in a couple of weeks. I think September fourth again is that one. So I'm looking forward to that. Those are like two of the best kind of TV shows, and they're based on comic books. I until until this month, I'd never read any of the Umbrella Academy books, and as I said, don't bother reading them. The TV show is good enough, and I don't know about the boys. I've never read the boys either, but now I'm not going to. I'm going to wait until after it's done because the the tv show is awesome as well i think the boys is one of the best shows on amazon prime personally it is, yeah it's, it's, it's excellent you know i was one minute into that show and like they had me you know yeah it's very it's very really, really good. good so and we'll talk about that i guess after that season drops yeah in, well in they're not month. dropping the season they're dropping episode by episode did you hear oh, it? really yes Are you serious? i think so i think it's Come week on. after week they they watched the the mandalorian has changed things forever yeah. now. It's interesting that Netflix Netflix is not doing that. They've kind of sticked yeah. to their their binging format. So you get a, oh well. you get a bigger bounce week after week after week if you only release you do. one episode. And it, st- it stays. We talked about this. It stays in the public consciousness for longer. Yeah. Right. It, it becomes a thing people talk about uh, around the water cooler that kind of stuff. I guess that's not going to happen virtual water cooler now, but. Um, yeah, well, okay. Well, we'll have to wait until that, uh, all the episodes air then that, before we talk about the, the boys, but it's also very, very good. Hi. You know who we are. But let's meet another hero. This is Lance Corporal Dan Miller. Dan and the other brave Marines of 2nd Battalion are helping keep you safe from the supervillain threat. We're proud to fly alongside them. And now we could use your support. That's right, Maeve, with our new campaign, Saving America. Very quickly, before we wrap up, do you have anything to recommend? Yeah, I got a quick one, and that is um, la- on Friday, last Friday, uh, the 80s punk and new wave band Psychedelic Furs released uh, their first new album in decades called Made of Rain, and I have been listening to it nonstop ever since, and it is friggin' awesome. It is a return to form it's a big, grandiose style of music 
that reminds me of, if people know the Cure's album, Disintegration, which is considered one of the Cure's best album, that this album does for the psychedelic furs what that album did for the Cure, which is it makes its music big, it's exciting, it's like new uncharted, uncharted places for this band. And uh, the single is called You'll Be Mine. And if you just uh, give that a little listen on YouTube, I think uh, you might be hooked. So the psychedelic furs and the album is made of rain. How about you? Uh, that's very cool. I will check that out. Um, you know, I, I've not heard a lot of great new music lately, so that's uh, that's excellent. Um, for me, I'm going to recommend a, a documentary I saw on, on uh, Amazon Prime. And this one, it kind of came about through my listening to Blockbuster, which I've already talked about. This season, Blockbuster is about James Cameron. And James Cameron got his start uh, with Roger Corman, um, who's, of course, the famous low-budget film producer. Uh, James Cameron designed the booby ship. I don't know if I told you that, but, the, you know, the, from, from Battle Beyond the Stars, the booby ship. The, oh, yeah, booby yeah, ship. Yeah, 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 James Cameron made that model. He created that. I'll bet he did. <laughs> so uh anyway i started listening to that and and they've got lots of great behind the scenes content and they had an interview with roger corman um about james cameron about how he what he was like when he first started and that kind of stuff and then out of that i heard that there was a um there was a uh documentary about Roger Corman and the work he did. So I wanted to find that. I searched up Roger Corman in a bunch of different places. I could not find it. I don't remember what it's called. But in the meantime, I did find a movie called Doomed about the creation of the Cor Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, oh. uh, which I thought was really interesting. This is a story that um, the, the legend has it that, that this certain production company had the rights to the Fantastic Four. This is back in the early 90s when we had... Um, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe did not exist, and the Marvel offerings for film and TV were not very good. We had the uh, um, we had Bill Bixby's uh, Hulk, or Lou Frigno's Hulk, rather. That was the TV show. Uh, we had a Captain America movie. I think there was something else. A motorcycle else as well. helmet instead of a mask. Right, right, right. And there was a there was a live action Spider Man show that wasn't very good. Like there was a lot of stuff yeah. that and, and Marvel was at the time in financial trouble and they were like selling off the rights to everything. So they sold the rights to the Fantastic Four to this company, but they had until a certain date to start production on the film, or else the rights would revert back to Marvel. This pro this company wanted to stall because it was in the middle of negotiating with Fox on actually creating. The Fantastic Four movies that we got, the ones we got with uh, with Chris Evans as Johnny Storm, like that first version, uh, and what's his face as the as the as the thing, um, Michael Chiklis. Michael Chiklis is the thing. So they were in the midst of that negotiation, but if they didn't start making the movie by December thirty first, nineteen ninety four, I think was the date, then the rights would revert back to Marvel. So they hired Roger Corman's company to make a Fantastic Four movie for a million dollars. Now. If you know anything about Roger Corman, you know that he tries to do it to the best of his ability. And this movie was made and never released. They actually went through the whole production process. The only thing missing from it are some maybe some special effects shots that they never ended up getting done, like computer-generated special effects and that kind of stuff. But they actually filmed the whole thing and edited it together, and they were getting ready to screen it. It was this thing where they, they screened it in the Mall of America, apparently. And then um, some other company got wind of this and they shut it down. They did a cease and desist because they're already they're already talking to Fox about making the the ones we got. So anyway, this is a documentary about that story about how this movie failed. That got me onto kind of a kick of watching documentaries about movie making. And so the other one I watched, jumping off of that was I think this is on iTunes, is the one about the failed Superman Lives movie, which was the one that Tim Burton was going to direct. 
out of the 90s and that one was not quite as good of a documentary as far as far as the making of it was concerned but man did they manage to talk to everybody they talked to tim burton they talked to kevin smith they talked to everybody involved in that whole thing this, that's not as dramatic of a story that one just kind of failed because the budget was going to be too much um warner brothers had just had a bunch of flops and they they didn't want to spend 150 150 million dollars on a movie um so they shut it down because of that but a lot of work went into that movie production design and concept art and that's pretty much what this documentary is it just took, takes a look at what this movie would have looked like had it been made and it would have been weird. It really would have been weird. Nicholas Cage as Superman, directed by Tim Burton. It would have been a weird Superman movie. And some people still would like to see that, but it's, it's never going to happen. Anyway, those are the two I would recommend watching two movies about making movies, which I really enjoy. That's pretty good. And I should add here, uh, a friend of mine, uh, my friend Kevin, is a prototypical comic book guy. And he had he bought every comic book movie ever on VHS. <laughs> ah, so, <laughs> so he's he got a Fantastic whole, Four? Uh, he's got and... He burned me a copy of the Roger Corman Fantastic Four onto a onto a DVD. Oh. I'll probably have it kicking around if you're interested in oh. seeing it. I watch it. It's awful. It really is awful. Well, it's but hard. they did the best they could with what they yeah. had. You think a million dollars is not a lot of money to make a movie. I think based on the shots that I shot, saw, they did a pretty good job with the thing. For example, the thing oh. is like... You know, well, they did a pretty good job with that. Well, hey, let's let's just say it. All the Fantastic Four movies are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Actually, they yeah. are. They're all yeah. terrible. Yeah. So, so they what, have not made a good Fantastic no. Four movie yet, no. and they've made some pretty big budget ones. So once you get to past that, this one kind of has is charming. But I mean, what oh, the part that always just sticks in my mind is. Um, uh, Mr. Fantastic marries the Invisible Girl at some point. I don't remember. That might even be the yeah, end of the movie. That's at the end of the, it's at the, end of the movie. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then they have them driving away, and they have a stick waving goodbye. <laughs> and that's, It's just supposed to be a stretchy arm. It's supposed right. to be a stretchy arm. It's supposed to be Mr. Fantastic stretchy yeah. arm waving goodbye. <laughs> and I remember watching that going, that's the perfect ending for this film. Which is like basically, it's yeah. like one stick giving you the finger. But you learn, you learn about like they cut the corners because they had they they wanted to do that as a CGI shot, but they couldn't because <laughs> right. they couldn't get that. There was the other thing is that the guy who played Doctor Doom, um, they they didn't dub over his lines, so a lot of it you can hear him talking from behind the mask, and it sounds horrible. Yeah. He's talking, he's saying his lines from behind. It's like if we heard David Prowse actually speaking as Darth Vader, that's what that would be like. It was awful. So anyway, that's something you can watch on Amazon Prime if you're interested in seeing more about that. I will watch that. Really that sounds really, well, sorry, right. the first one's called Doomed, and what's the other one called? Doomed. Uh, the other one's called Batman. Oh, no, sorry, it was Superman. Superman Lives What Happened or oh, something okay. like that. You just type in Superman Lives and you'll find it. Um, that's Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, the Fantastic Four one was a better documentary in my oh, opinion. Oh, cool. I will, I'm, I'll definitely watch it. That's going to do it for this episode of The Media Nerds. I'm Dan Vatabonker. I'm Kenton Larson. Don't let the door hit you on the ass.